been talking about throughout the series is that Christianity is not a spectator sport, right? It's, not, it's never meant to be just come and sit in church and sort of do the thing and then walk away and then you're kind of done with it until next Sunday, right? It's never intended to be that way. The, as we're reading throughout the book of Acts, right, there's all kinds of ways we're seeing and being stretched to consider what if the Holy Spirit is still leading and guiding like that today? Because he is, right? Like, it, it's not intended to be sit back and watch, observe other people doing it. It's, it's intended to be experienced for yourself. Life with God, life driven and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, 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 it's never meant to be something to, to sit on the sidelines, but it's meant to be for us to get in the game and, and experience his power, his presence, his leadership over our lives. And so that's what we've been kind of talking about today. I want to uh, kind of keep going throughout uh, the book of Acts. We're going to focus in primarily on Acts chapter 9. And uh, kind of here's the big idea. It's real simple. Uh, but here's kind of the big idea for the day is that God can reach anybody and he can use anybody. <laughs> is that pretty simple? Simple enough. He can reach anybody and he can use anybody. That's got some implications for our lives and we'll get there. Last, we're going to start out uh, reading with kind of where we left off last time. We talked about the stoning of Stephen. You guys remember this? For those that have, uh, were here or watched online uh, last week, we talked about that and the way that God used that to spread the gospel right throughout the known world. He used uh, persecution. And I, uh, I want to kind of reread just the end of that to kind of set the stage for the person that we're going to focus in on today, whose name is Saul. And so uh, let's look for that name as we read Acts 7, starting with verse 57. And then we're going to read through the beginning of, uh, of uh, chapter 8, and then we're going to jump to 9 here in a second. It says this, it says, At this, uh, they, the religious leaders, covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen. They dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named, what's the word? Saul, right? That's the one we're, we're, we're paying attention to today. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60, then, they, uh, then he fell at his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. We talked about last week, even, I mean, Stephen's even dying like Jesus. He's living like Jesus, and then he's even dying quoting and, and referring to uh, the same things that Jesus prayed uh, while on the cross. Pretty significant. Uh, it says, uh, when he had said this, he fell asleep. Verse 1, chapter 8, says, And Saul approved of their killing of Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then jumping ahead to verse 3, it says, But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, here's my question, uh, just to kind of get us going. First of all, was Saul religious? Was he, was he passionate about, uh, about God, even? Is it possible for us to be passionate about God and even believe we're doing the work of God and be deceived? Let's talk about what are some modern day examples of, of how you can see this at work. Come on, put on your thinking caps. What's that? Social media? <laughs> That's exactly right. There's all kinds of stuff that gets done on social media in the name of the Lord or in the name of religion or whatever, where they're just hating people, right? They're just tearing people down and calling names and cussing people out, whatever, in Jesus' name, right? You're like, what is that? You think you're doing good, and in some ways, you're doing damage. Absolutely. What else? How about, 
about terrorists? Have we ever seen instances where people, in, in, again, in God's name, thinking they're doing the right thing, right, to promote God's kingdom or to, to move his mission forward, do acts of terrorism against other people, kill people, right? I mean, again, and they, they're, they're very devout, very religious, quote unquote. There's, but, but getting a little, a little more personal, right? I, I think there's all kinds of ways that we can do this even, where we can, we can think we're doing good, uh, in bringing division in a church, right? Instead of unity. When we, we think we're working for God and in, in reality, maybe we're tearing him down. Or we think we're, we think that we're speaking truth and, and sometimes we're just kind of sharing fads of our culture or whatever. Like we're doing damage, right? I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we and then we can be religious and yet be working against the cause of Christ. And that's exactly what we're going to see happening here in the life of Saul. He was trying to be zealous for God. He was he was a passionate God follower, and uh, and Jesus and his church just kind of ticked him off. The working of the Holy Spirit just kind of ticked him off. They, I mean, the Holy Spirit was rocking the boat. The Holy Spirit was impeding on their rules and their religion and their traditions that they were used to following, things that made them feel very safe and religious and devout and maybe even a little better than other people. right? All the, and it was kind of getting in the way of that. And he was just mad as heck. right? He was just ticked off about it so much so that he didn't even know it, but he was working against the very God that he thought he was serving. And I just think, man, how, do, you think, do you think all of us maybe have the capacity to do that at times? Can we, can we just have a moment of honesty and say, you know what, there are times when myself gets in the way, when, when I think I'm doing something for whatever, but really, if we, if we pull up the hood and look underneath, we can see maybe there's a little too much of me and not nearly enough of God. And then let's keep going. We're going to jump ahead now to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to see just the full extent of this. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest even and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which who's he referring to? Christ followers, right? Whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He is just going after it. As he neared Damascus on on, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Can I just uh, pause for a second and say, can you imagine that moment? Would there be like a gulp? (laughs) I mean, here you are. I mean, you're killing Christians. You're arresting. You've got orders from the from the high priest. You can go and you can arrest any of these people that these so-called Jesus follower kind of be these God followers. Like you're like, we know better than them. They're wrong and we're right. And so he's been doing everything he can possibly do. He's very zealous. Everything he can possibly do to destroy this work. All of a sudden he's riding along on his horse a flash of lightning, right? A flash of light that's so bright, it's, it's an imagery of the holiness of God, right? Knocks him off of his horse. He falls to the ground. He hears a voice from heaven call to him, and he's like, who is it? Who is this person? He says, it's Jesus whom you are persecuting. Is it hot in here, right? I mean, like, can you imagine? It would be a horrible moment, a moment when you realize everything that you thought you were fighting for, you were really fighting against. It would be a horribly humbling 
moment when he's broken. In fact, uh, God blinds him He'll, here. We'll see in just a second so that, so that he can really see. And this is great. Uh, verse 6 says this. Oh, let me, let me just say one, one thing to you. I can imagine if I put myself in the, in the shoes of Saul at that moment. Again, you get knocked off your horse. Who is it? It's, it's Jesus whom you are persecuting. What would you be expecting at that moment from him? You think it's going to go well for you? What'd you say? Death, right? You're kind of like, are you going to kill me? Don't hurt me, right? I mean, you're like, I mean, you'd be afraid. You'd be terrified. You've been fighting against God, right? Think of that. It'd be terrifying. You, I mean, you, you're probably like, I, I don't know. I think I'm going to get smited or smote or whatever that is. Right? I think God's going to strike me down dead. We just read about this in, earlier in Acts, right? Where God was doing that. Like, you're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And the, the amazing thing, we're, we're going to get here, but the amazing thing is rather than killing him, rather than condemning him, you know what Jesus does? He saves him, right? He rescues him. He transforms him. He forgives him. He makes him new. He puts his spirit in him, and he sends him out on mission to the world. And I, what I love about that, and this is kind of the, the first thing, man, if, if, if Jesus can do that to Saul, who killed Christians, I think he can do it for you. I think he can do that in you. You think it's a, is it possible that God can still save and completely forgive and completely make new any single person in this room or watching online or anybody else? He, if he did it to Saul, he could do it in you. Verse 6, I'll keep going. It says, now get up and go into that city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. Yeah, they heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Verse 8, Saul got up uh, from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. Let me just, I'm going to break this down into a couple of different ways. Just same point in a couple of different kind of perspectives. But the first thing, first thought is this. God can save anybody. If he can reach and save Saul, he can reach and he can save you too. I don't care how far from God you may be feeling. I don't care what you may have done in your past, how bad you might have screwed up. I mean, think about it. Saul was destroying the church. He was killing Christians. He was against everything that Jesus gave his life for. If God can forgive him, if God can transform his life and turn him into a man filled by his spirit that he used to, to transform the eternities of eventually millions of people throughout the known world, if, if God can do that to him, then is it possible that God can transform you too, that God can free you from sin, that God can forgive you, that God can transform you, fill you with his spirit and use you absolutely? Sometimes I'll get people that'll come up to me and just say, I mean, I can't be, you, you don't know what I've done. I can't be forgiven. There's, it's, my, my past is just too dark. There's no way I could ever be used by God, that I could ever be transformed. by. It's just, it's too bad. You don't know what I've done. And friends, I just, what I, one of the things I love about this story of Saul is it's just a reminder. It's kind of God's wake-up call to all of us. It's a moment where God knocks us off our horses as well in a flash of light, in a flash of his glory, and it reminds us God can save anyone. He can rescue anyone. He can transform anyone, including you. Some of us need to hear that this morning. We need to be reminded and just 
and, and just quit running away from him and stop and turn towards him. Open up our hearts and lives and just say, Jesus, I need you. I've tried it my own way. I've been running. I thought I was doing good, but really when I look back, I think it was just me. Right? I've, been, I've been busting up my life. I've been busting up your kingdom. I've been busting up my family, whatever. And, and God, it, I need to be forgiven. I need to be freed. I need to be transformed. Would you come and forgive me? Would you come and lead me? I turn away from my sin. I turn back to you, Jesus. I need you. There's some of us here today that just need to quit running and turn back home to God and receive that and be reminded he can save you. He can transform you. He can do his work in you. Second, second thing, let me spin it a little bit differently. But for those of us that, that have done that in the past, that have put our faith and trust in Christ, and we are following hard after God, can I just remind us that not only can God save you, but he can sa- there's not a single person you have locked eyes with that God doesn't care about and that God is not able to, to transform and to rescue and to save, right? Sometimes I think we kind of create this little hierarchy in our minds, and we, we tend to think things like, you know, I... I believe that God can transform nice people, right? Like, I believe that, like, people that show up on Christmas and Easter and, like, you know, at least are around the church. They might not know Jesus, but they're at least around the church, and they have nice jobs, and they have whatever. I believe, like, I, I think sometimes we believe that, you know, God can, can reach them. He can reach them. But people that are tough, like, go into a biker bar or something where, like, you got this guy with a tattoo, like, says killer across there or something. Like, he's got a spike through his chin and he's, you know, black leather. We're like, I'm not so sure about him. Or, 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 or maybe we, can, we believe that God can reach nice people, but I'm not so sure. Like, atheists, like, hardcore, uh, you know, against the church. And again, we kind of think, I'm not so sure. We'd never say that, but we kind of act that way. Like, which one would you rather get in a, a spiritual conversation with, right? Like, we kind of have a hierarchy of preference, and we think, well, well, I think maybe the nice people are a little more open to God than the others. My experience, and I think what, what this story reminds us of, is I think sometimes the opposite is actually more true. Let me give you, a, let me tell you a couple stories. When uh, Tina and I were first married, we uh, lived uh, outside of Rockford, Illinois. We served at this little church out in the middle of nowhere. I did youth and worship for them. And, uh, and there we met a, a young woman, young mom. Uh, her name was Lisa. And she, uh, she's great. She became a friend. She became a part of our growth group. She kind of helped out and served on some of the teams that we did. And uh, we just got to know her and her family pretty well. Her, she had a couple of twin boys and and uh, got to hang out with them and, and love them and everything. Well, she also had a husband, but her husband was a little bit more like the biker bar guy that I just described a little bit earlier. His name was Tim. He was far from God. He carried a gun. He was scary, right? Like he, he also, he wore like a black leather jacket. He had tats all over him. Uh, he, he'd shot people before. I mean, he was in kind of a, a motorcycle gang of sorts and uh, all this. He had all kinds of background and track record. And I can remember us being in a group and we're talking about evangelism. It's like a passion area for me. I love to see people come to know Jesus. And so we're like, yeah. And, uh, and uh, Lisa starts chiming in and saying, man, I, I, I want somebody to reach my husband. And I'm like, 
don't make eye contact. (laughs) I was scared. I'm like, I'm not going to go. I can't reach out to that guy. Are you kidding me? He's scary. I was terrified. There's no way he's open to God. There's no way, right? I mean, nice people, yes, but like him, I don't think, like, don't hurt me. You know, kind of like, it was that kind of relationship. And and what I what I said to her is I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm not sure I have that much faith yet. I was like, but what I will, I'll promise you is we'll, I'll start praying for him. And so I started praying for Tim. And uh, and since she was in our growth group, we prayed every week uh, in our growth group for Tim. And uh, we started praying and praying and praying. And then I started praying for opportunities. God, you open up the door of, of relationship. I'm like, I don't think I can connect with him. I don't think we have anything in common. Like, I don't think there's it. But like, if you can kind of do something, that'd be great. And, uh, and pretty soon, uh, he was going to be going for work. He was going to be going to Russia on a trip. And I'm like, oh, I lived in Russia for, uh, for a while. And so, uh, so it kind of opened up the door of relationship, and we started building a friendship. And I got to share with him about Jesus, still with kind of fear and trembling a little bit, you know. But, like, I got to share what, what Christ had done in me and because I went and, and served uh, in Russia as a missionary. I got to share stories about changed lives and about ways that God was working and transforming and ways the Holy Spirit was moving and healings that I got to see and experience and some, some of this kind of stuff. And, and, and we got to share and, and there was more receptivity than I thought. It wasn't like he fell down on his knees and said, what must I do to be saved? But there was openness and there was receptivity. I'm like, huh? So we built, he was a guitar player. So we'd sit around and dig around and again, got to share with him, really got to love him and, uh, and his whole family. Well, it wasn't long after that that Tina and I felt called to go up to Wisconsin. And so we moved up there. We started a church. We were there for 14 years. You guys know the story. Many of you do. But uh, but it was maybe four or five years after we moved up. We kind of, I mean, we had heard from them a couple of times. And I knew I'd heard through the grapevine that God had kind of gotten a hold of, of them and, and, and him and, and, uh, and was doing some good work there. But we hadn't really seen it or experienced it for ourselves and, uh, until I got a call one day. Uh, it was, I remember exactly where I was. I was sitting on her bed. I got a phone call. I picked it up and it's Lisa. And, and this is what she says to me. She says, um, she said, Tim died last night. And she said, and, and they don't know what happened, but, but he's gone. And I just want you to know that he's in heaven because of you. And I was like, well, first of all, I mean, very abrupt. <laughs> it was like, but that was like what she opened with. I was rocked back. And I'm like, we talked about it. And I mean, I just, I can't remember just being amazed. And God and I had many conversations after that because I was like, man, I didn't think I could, I mean, when I couldn't, right? But I was like, I didn't think he was reachable. I didn't think he, it was possible. I didn't think all kinds of things. And, and yet, you know what? God is able to save anybody he wants. He can bust in, sometimes even prefers, I think, to bust in to the hardest of hearts, the, 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 heart, you know, the hardest of stories, the, the, the worst of whatever. He, he, he seems to have great delight in reaching in and pouring out his love and his grace and his forgiveness and transforming them and, tr- I mean, in- until they just shine his light and then he sends them back out to reach people that we never could, that I never could. And you know what? I've, I've heard stories and I've experienced stories like that again and again and again. And it just kind of reminds me, God can save anybody. There's nobody that's too hard. There's no one that is too far from God. And I think as we read through Acts, we start seeing that, right? We see demon-possessed people sitting at Jesus' feet afterwards, right? We see, I mean, you see people that are healed that all of a sudden, right, hard luck cases that God transforms. He seems to take great delight in it. We've seen, 
We've gotten to baptize people that, when I first met them, were atheists who ended up giving their life, lives to Christ. People that were addicts and alcoholics and uh, were in jail and all kinds of people. And God transforms them so much that they shine and they glow Jesus, right, when you see them. That you can see the Holy Spirit on them when you see them, right? I mean, that's what God does. There is no one that he can't reach. There is no one that is too far. If Jesus can reach Saul, if the Holy Spirit can transform his life, then he can reach those around you too. Can I just pause for a second? The reason I bring this up is I'm like, man, I I think sometimes we're afraid. (laughs) And so we kind of stay back from people when the Holy Spirit is prompting us and saying, would you say a word? Would you love on that person? Would you share about Jesus with them? Would you pray for that person? Would you step out and follow? I think sometimes when the Holy Spirit's prompting us, we're like, but God, you don't know how they are. They're so far from me. They're probably going to hate it. They're probably going to hurt me, right? Like, don't, like all this kind of stuff. And I think God is just saying back to us, he's saying, you have no idea. You don't know the place. You don't know how I've been at work. I can transform anyone. You know what I'm saying? And I wonder if there isn't somebody around you this week that the Holy Spirit's just going to be tapping on you and saying, opening your eyes, letting the scales fall from your eyes so that you can see somebody around you and say, would you say a word? Would you love on them? Would you serve them? Would you give to them? Would you pray for them? Would you share the gospel with them? And if we would be willing to step out and follow, I wonder what God would do. You with me? Let's keep going. Uh, Acts 9, 9 through 31. I'm just going to read through the rest of, rest of the section, and, uh, and then I'll make a couple more comments. It says, for three days, uh, Saul was blind. He didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight, St- uh, Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to, re- to restore his sight. Which, by the way, how cool is that? God had already revealed his plan to the, to the recipient before he, before he even let the person know that, was, that had to go deliver the message. I'm like, God is, again, we don't know how God's at work. It's an amazing, it's an amazing story. He's already 10 steps ahead. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports, listen to this, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. You know what he's saying? What? I'm scared. <laughs> he's saying, you know, you know, Lord, as, as we talk about this more, I think this sounds more like a Peter kind of thing. <laughs> like, why don't you send him? Right? Why don't you send him? Or, I mean, Thomas, he doesn't believe anything anyway. Send him, right? I mean, like, let, let's, I'm not so sure I'm your guy for this. But this is what God, this is what God says. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Interesting. Verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and so that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. That's the first thing he does, by the way. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent uh, several days with his disciples in Damascus. I want you to, to read that next, that, those next two words for me. What does that say? At once he began to preach. We're going to come back to that. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished. And they asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the, is the Messiah. Verse 23, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Can I just, again, I've been saying this every week, but, but do you see the pattern, right? So there's a power, there's a display of God's power, right, in Saul's conversion. There's proclamation that comes next where he's, he, you can't shut the man up. You can't keep him from speaking about Jesus. He's telling you, I, you gotta, you gotta know him. He's great. And then there's persecution that comes as a result, right? We're, we see this over and over and over. Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, right? Not believing that he was really a disciple. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and he brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and how the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with them and he moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and he debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Verse 31, last verse. says, then the church throughout Judea, listen to this, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord with reverence for the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it increased in number right? More and more get added to their number daily, those who are being saved. Man, I love this passage. Uh, man, I just, uh, again, as we're reading through this, I'm thinking, uh, not only can God save anybody he wants, but he can use anybody he wants, can he? <laughs> he can use anyone for his purposes. Such great stuff. Saul has been persecuting and killing Christians, working against Jesus until, and this is the same thing that happens to every single person in the book of Acts, until what? He has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and he becomes convinced that Jesus is, in fact, alive, right? And what's the second thing? He is filled with power from on high. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's a, an, an encounter with the resurrected Jesus so that they're convinced that Jesus is alive. They're filled with power from on high. And then he's, he's a witness, right? You'll be, you'll be clothed with power from on high. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. It makes a point of saying that. We're not quite to the ends of the earth, but we will in the next couple weeks. Uh, we'll get there. 
amazing kind of thing. God, not only can God save anyone, but he can use anyone. And I, I love, again, I mentioned it earlier, but how long until, start, uh, until Saul starts telling other people about Jesus? How long until, like, from the time that he receives the Holy Spirit, he's baptized, right? And, uh, how long until he starts stepping out and preaching and doing ministry and pointing other people back to Jesus? How long before he starts leading other people to Christ? How long before he starts discipling other people? What's the word? What does it say? Go to that next slide. At once, right? Well, didn't, doesn't he need to go to seminary before he can do that stuff? Doesn't he need to be in more Bible studies, right? Doesn't he need, he probably needs to read a bunch more books, doesn't he? What am I, what am I saying? I'm kind of playing with you, but no, right? Because here's the thing. Again, we go back to this North American Christian thing. We think, we think discipleship is all about this. It's, we think it's all about what we know in the book of Acts, it's about who you know, right? It's about knowing and encountering the resurrected Jesus and being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what equips us for ministry. He calls us, he leads us, he fills us with the Spirit, he sends us out, and we are, and, and he empowers us to do what he's asked us to do. To, it's what we've been saying, right? To do what Jesus did and to say what Jesus said, right? He gives us power from on high to do that he can use anybody and i have to say this is a challenge for us as north american christians don't you think because we ought to be like but i don't feel ready i don't feel prepared what if i can't lead a bible study i can't lead a girl what if somebody asks me a question that i can't answer right? What if I don't know enough? That's what we think. And of course, this preparation's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Knowing God's word, good thing, important. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes I think we just minimize the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember first week we talked about dynamis power, the power, the, the power that we're promised. It, it's, it's more like nuclear power plant kind of energy. And we tend to think of it as a little AAA battery. <laughs> we can, we're like, there's power available. And God's like, no, 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 you have no idea. There is power. I'm going to fill you with resurrection power. And then some, right? <laughs> the, the power of my spirit is going to live inside of you. You are are equipped. You've got all the power you need to do what I ask you to do. Those he calls, he equips by his spirit. Can I tell you a little secret? Uh, I'm totally getting out of order probably, but that's okay. We're going to, in, in January and February, we're going to, I'm going to do some teaching on uh, what it looks like to actually make disciples, right? Matthew 28, you know, this is in Acts 1-8 as well, kind of, they're, they're tied together. It's the great commission, right, where, we're, where Jesus gives us his, his kind of final orders and says, Here, here's the thing, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, just, Jesus says, and then he says to his followers, therefore, Go, like in my power, in my authority, go and make disciples. And it's one of those things of, like, if, we, if I ask for a show of hands of, like, how many of us are, are currently right now discipling another uh, individual? <laughs> Very few of us would probably raise our hands, right? And if, that's, if that's the standing orders of Jesus, and the question is, why aren't we doing it? And I think the number one answer is we're like, well, I, I don't know how to do that. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time. I'm going to teach on it. I'm going to offer a workshop. We're going to have some sign-up sheets and say, hey, if you'd like to be discipled by somebody, you can sign up here. If you'd like to be a discipler, we'll train you. We'll teach you how to do that. You can sign up here, and we'll have a workshop. We'll train uh, people how to do that. But here's the, can I, can I just be honest? Can we just put it out there? Here's the thing. 
uh, we're not going to get, it's not an exhaustive class. There's no such thing as an exhaustive class on discipleship. We're going to give you some best practices. We're going to give you some ideas, some tools that you can use. But really the purpose of the class is to help you get over your fear <laughs> just enough to follow the Holy Spirit because God's word is clear on this, just to follow the Holy Spirit and say, you know what, I'm going to step out and do it. Because here's what I believe. I believe that if you step out into the calling of God, which this clearly is, that the Holy Spirit is more than able to empower and equip you. If you, if you are living in a life-giving relationship with the risen Jesus, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, and, and part of that relationship is, of course, we're growing in his word, we're, we're learning his truth, we're, we're, but if we're doing that, he is more than able to equip us to make disciples. He's more than able to empower us through his spirit to tell people about Jesus or to go, you know, and go where he calls us to go and do what he calls us to do. You with me? You kind of hear what I'm saying? I've got a, uh, I've got a friend, uh, I'm trying to think where I am. Yeah, a friend named Nguiza. Um, he's actually from Zimbabwe. And I, uh, I met him a couple of different times and I uh, kind of interacted with him online and uh, whatever else. He's a part of an organization or he was called Dawn, which means discipling a whole nation. He's a church planner. And when I met him and got to have lunch with him. He planted um, himself, I don't know, maybe dozens of churches, but he'd been a part of helping to start thousands of churches across this country. There was a season, I think it was maybe in the 90s and into the early 2000s, uh, where he uh, went around and kind of connected with different pastors around his country, and they started praying and and started asking, what does the Holy Spirit want to do? And and they felt like one of the the, the action steps that came out, they're like, we feel like God wants to start 10,000 churches in 10 years in our country. 10,000 in 10 years. I don't know if you thought about that. That's incredibly fast reproduction. I mean, that's just cranking. And the crazy thing is they surpassed it in year eight. They were past their goal. I mean, it was incredible. And so I got to have lunch with him. And so I came with a list of questions. <laughs> I'm like, this is, I want to learn from you, man. So I, I came in and I was asking so many like systems questions. I'm like, how in the world, what, what are you doing to prepare church? I mean, how can you possibly raise up and equip and train church planners that quickly that you can, because they were planning churches and they were turning around and planning other churches and those churches were planning. I mean, it was just a multiplication an exponential sort of thing. And he kind of chuckled at me. He kind of gave me the, the squint one eye and look at you kind of sideways kind of thing. He said, you know what? You Americans always take things and you make it so hard. He's like, you know what the main difference is? He's like, in Zimbabwe and in our church planning movement, he said, the thing is, we actually believe that the Holy Spirit equips and empowers. And we depend on and we lean on him. And he's like, now, don't get me wrong. We have, we have ongoing training and whatever else. He goes, but we try to listen to who, for who the Holy Spirit's chosen right, kind of thing, to help us identify. And then we disciple them for a season, for a fairly short season, uh, and we give them some tools, and we equip them and train them. And then we send them out on a mission to go do the same thing, to go make more disciples and to go plant more churches to reach more and more people for Christ. And he's like, we have ongoing relationship and discipling relationships as they go, but we just do it. Like, it, he's like, you're way overthinking this. And, and you know what? I was, I was kind of rocked back a little bit to begin with, but you know what? I came to the conclusion, I'm like, I think he's right. I think in America especially, and I think uh, I'm guilty of this sometimes, but I, I think we don't really trust the Holy Spirit to do his job. We don't really think he's up to it, right? I mean, we think, I mean, yeah, sure, the Holy Spirit, but like, let me teach you 25,000 things you need to know first, right? As opposed to like, 
go. I mean, like that kind of thing. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about and look at, I mean, Paul ends up, Saul, who becomes Paul, ends up going out, starting churches all around the known world at that time, basically. And the church of Antioch is the sending church. Super cool. But within a very short period of time, he he sets, uh, I mean, pastors and elders up in each of the churches. And you're like, these people have been believers for months, probably, not even years, some of them. And you're like, how is that even, you know, he trusted the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, was there, sometimes I have to say, in all fairness, you get to books like 1 Corinthians and stuff too, where that has a lot to say, where he has to go back and do some work because they were very young when they started. And so all kinds of other teachings and stuff creep in and he has to do some course corrections. But I'm like, man, that's, that's pretty challenging. And I'm like, you know what? I, I just wonder, um, I just wonder, what if the Holy Spirit really is up for the job? What if he is more than able to equip and empower you to do what he's called you to do. If I believe that, and not just believe it up here, but if we really believe that, then we should have no fear right, of stepping out. When, when God nudges us, we should step out. Why? Because we believe that God is more than able, the Spirit is more than able to deliver, to do the work that needs to be done in me and through me. Right? Amen. I'm going to take a quick tangent. I'll be right back. One of the things that struck me, pull up that next slide if you would. You see it in Acts 9, uh, 27 and 28, but also in Acts 11. Is I, I was laughing at this a little bit because Barnabas brings Saul to the other apostles in Jerusalem to vouch for him. I mean, because as we read... The apostles, quote, quote, in Jerusalem, they were terrified of this guy, right? They were afraid. They're like, I think he's coming to kill us. We're afraid. That kind of stuff. And Barnabas says, okay, I'll go with you. And he goes and he vouches for him. And then in, in Acts 11, 25 and 26, listen to this. It says this. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. The disciples uh, were called Christians first at Antioch, which is awesome, little Christ uh, kind of thing. But I love this. But I was just thinking about it this week and thinking, Barnabas chose Saul, right? Barnabas chose Saul as his disciple. Now, again, that's you read that and you think, oh, yeah, well, I mean, we kind of know how the story ends. At least some of us do. Yeah, well, he turns into the super apostle and all that kind of stuff. But that they didn't know at that point. And I was, I was thinking about it, thinking, can you imagine, like, maybe the apostles are all sitting around the room, and they're thinking, like, who are the strategic people that we should be investing our lives in? The disciples that we... And I can imagine, if, if we were doing this, I can imagine somebody said, well, you know, I've got a friend who's, you know, a VP over at Caterpillar. And, I mean, he's got leadership skills. Like, he's a great communicator. I mean, you know, gold star, you know, ding. Right, that's, he's he's going to be my choice for disciple. I mean, it just makes sense, doesn't it? And then, like, you go around, and the next person, well, I got a Bradley, you know, there's a Bradley professor, and he's he's become a Christ follower, and I mean, he's got all these degrees. His level of knowledge will, like, blow your mind. That I mean, can you imagine, you're kind of going around the room and, and that kind of stuff, and then you get to, somebody says, well, what about you, Barnabas? Who are you going to choose? And, you know, who's going to be your disciple? Who's the person that you're going to pour your life into? And I can, I can imagine Barnabas um, kind of rocking back a little bit and going, well, you know, 
I'm going I'm to go with a pastor killer. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm going I'm to go with the guy that, that used to chase us around and throw us in jail and arrest our wives and threaten to rip apart our family. I'm gonna, he's the obvious choice. Right now, nobody's going to choose that. I have to say, this is, what, this is what was striking me. I'm like, it had to be the Holy Spirit. Nobody in their right mind would choose Saul at this point apart from a couple things. And this is what, we're, this is what I, I'm just going to remind us of. Because Saul, or because uh, Barnabas doesn't go before the church in Jerusalem and say, you know, he's the obvious choice because he's learned and he's got these skills and he's a communicator. And he's, you know, he goes before the church in Jerusalem and he says, there's two things. He says, he's seen the resurrected Jesus. He's experienced the resurrected Jesus. And I've seen there's power in him through the Holy Spirit that's been evidenced as he's preached with power fearlessly, right? Fearlessly. So there's an encounter with Jesus. And there's the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He says, you know what? He's ready. He's equipped. He's the guy. Isn't that crazy? That is not how we make decisions. That is how the early church made decisions. And they trusted that if Jesus is actually alive, which he is, right? And the Holy Spirit is really powerful and really can equip us that you can release people so much easier. There's no need to be afraid, right? Because he'll empower you to do what he's asked you to do. The question uh, for us today is, what is it that you think God is nudging you to do? As we're going through this experiment, who is there around you that maybe God is asking you to share Jesus with? Who around you is, is maybe the Holy Spirit whispering and nudging? You know what? You should disciple them. You should invest in them. You should help them grow in their walk with Jesus. Is there a particular area of ministry that God's nudging you and saying, you know what, I have put this on your heart, and it could be, you know, teenage moms. It could be helping addicts find free. It could be anything. It could be helping homeless people in downtown Peoria. It could be anything. But is there, is there a certain niche that the Holy Spirit's been prompting you and you've been holding back going, yeah, but I don't know enough. I'm not ready. And I wonder if today the Holy Spirit's not saying, you know what, God can use anybody. Have, have you had an encounter with the risen Jesus? Do you know that Jesus is alive? Does his spirit live in you? Then go. Then pray. Then serve. Then share. Step out. What's holding us back? So often, we talked about this last week, but so often, you know, we get in our little safety bubbles and we're like, God will strengthen me first and then I'll step out of my comfort zone. But that's never the way it works, right? We step out and then we get to see and experience more of God's power, His presence. We get to see him work in amazing ways. Would you consider stepping out this week? Four things we've been talking about the whole, the whole series. You going to go to that next slide? Oh, yeah, I'll, I got one more. I got a scripture slide first, right? Yeah, so Acts 9, this is just a reminder. As the church does this, as we actually say, you know what, we're going to follow him. We're going to step out empowered by his spirit and do what Jesus tells us to do, what the spirit tells us to do, and we're going to say the things that Jesus said. What happens? Well, the church throughout the area enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in right relationship with God, the fear of the Lord, reverence of the Lord. They were encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it increased in number. You know, that's like code in the book of Acts. You know what that means? More and more and more and more and more people found Jesus. 
right? The church blew up. It expanded as more and more people found Christ and found new life in Christ. Four things that we've been kind of asking throughout this series. Number one is would you get in the Word with us? We've been reading through the book of Acts. If you haven't started yet, do it this week. We've been saying, what if you would just read five chapters a week? That's a chapter a day throughout the work week. It'll take you five to ten minutes. But instead of just reading it like and checking it off the list, what if we read it like with a heart that just said, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me as I read through this? What are you saying to me? How am I supposed to live? How can I live out the truth and the reality that we see in the book of Acts? How can we live out that book of Acts kind of faith today? How do you want to do that in my life? And just sort of journal that out or write in, your, write in the margins how the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you as you read through Acts together. If, you're, if you started the first week, we're reading through 21 through 25 this week. I uh, would encourage you to, to, to read along with us. It's, it's awesome. I've been loving it. Been re- I've been reading through Luke and Acts at the same time. We've got a, a discipleship group that's reading through Luke, and the, the combination together has been fantastic. Good for my soul. I think it'll be good for yours, too. Second, we said, we talked about this the first or second week, too. We read that prayer that the, uh, that the disciples prayed and said, man, what if we started praying you know, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you fill us and would you give us boldness to proclaim your word, to live in the fullness of your spirit? Would you, would you pour down signs and miracles, right? Would you, would, you, would you show your power? Would you give us boldness to proclaim the message and strengthen us for the times when persecution will come? What if we started praying for that? And the, the, the next one is we said, what, what if we started, what if the scales were to fall from our eyes and we started looking for ways that we can be his witnesses? We said Acts 1 is the theme verse for the entire book, uh, right? The, the, and, and the book of Acts, which is still ongoing today. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And so we're saying God is, the Holy Spirit is constantly working, constantly calling us out when we step outside these doors we should be scanning and looking for opportunities because the holy spirit's going to nudge us and say here's an opportunity to point people to jesus to say a word to talk about what god's done in you sometimes to share the gospel can i pause for one second i had a conversation i have i've had a lot of these kind of conversations in the last uh, few months where i'm talking with somebody uh, who's a part of the church or maybe somebody that's a christ follower that i know or whatever uh and and i'm i'm talking about like who have you shared Jesus with who have you have you had a chance to share the gospel they, they're talking about friends of theirs or co-workers or whatever that are far from God I'm like well have you had a chance to share have you had a chance to whatever and they come back and said well I've invited them to church but they you know they they're not receptive to coming right now or, or you know something like that or they're like well I, I keep thinking I should invite them to church and uh, and and I understand that and uh, Certainly there's ways that we can partner together and sometimes where we'll do series that are specifically for inviting friends to come and and hear the gospel and that's a great thing. But you know what? I think that's driven by fear, right? It's like, well, I don't think, I think what's underneath that sometimes is I don't think I would be any good at sharing Jesus with somebody else and so I'll just invite him to church and then you can do it, pastor, right? Let, Let the professional Christians do it, right? Kind of thing. And I'm like, no, right? You, you, there's no spectators here. You will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Who is there around you this week that the Holy Spirit's prompting and saying, would you speak the name of Jesus? Would you share? Would you point? In an era where 
All kinds of people are terrified by death and disease and understandably so, right? But there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of fear, all kinds of political tension. Still, the thing just won't die, right? There's all kinds of, there's all kinds of division and anger and divisiveness and all this kind of stuff. In this kind of era, if ever there was a time for the church to step up, empowered by the Spirit, to live as the church, it's today. So would you look for opportunities to be a witness for Jesus? He is the hope of the world, the only hope of the world. Amen? And the last one is just be on the lookout for, open our eyes. How is the Holy Spirit working in your life? Would you identify how you see him, uh, what, what you hear him saying, how he's prompting you, what you're doing, how you're seeing him work? And could, like I said uh, earlier, because we just need to hear stories. We need to be sharpened and spurred on by one another. And then would you share that uh, with each other as we go through the series? All right? Well, why don't I... Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and we will kind of wrap up for today. Let's pray. Ah. Mm. God, we thank you for your great love. I thank you, uh, first and foremost, that you are an amazing Savior, that there is not one of us who is too far, that is too dark, that has too bad of a past, that you cannot completely save and redeem and restore You're a God who transforms and who heals and who rescues. And you do it in an eternal sense with our souls, but you do it on a moment-by-moment sense as well. You are continually rescuing and saving and intervening in our lives. And we just want to open up our hearts, our hands, our lives to you. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We need you. We are desperately in need of a Savior. And so would you come uh, in, in the name of of Jesus, Lord, would you forgive us from our sins and the junk of our past? Would you come and take up residence in our lives? Lord, we bow our knees, our lives to you. We say, come and be our God, our King, our Lord. We need you, Jesus. We turn away from the junk and we turn to you. We just cry out, we need you. Thank you, God, that there is... uh, that you tell us clearly in your word that when we put our faith and trust in you, we are completely forgiven. We are made new, that your spirit comes to live inside of us, and we are empowered to be your witnesses. Lord, and I pray this week that you would teach us to live in the fullness of your spirit, that you would open our ears, that you would let the scales fall from our eyes, that we can see you and hear you and know you in all your fullness, that we'd be quick to follow where you lead, that we'd be quick to speak what we hear you saying, that we'd be quick to serve and to love and to minister. I pray, God, for boldness and courage for those of us in this room and those that are watching online, boldness to live for you, that we wouldn't let fear stop us, but we would fearlessly be witnesses for you. Knowing, uh, knowing that you are more than able to equip and empower us to do what you tell us to do, to say what you tell us to say, how we need you. Come, Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Come and guide us. Come and lead us. Be glorified, God, in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, we've got one final song before we do. I'll just mention this is usually the time in our service where we bring our tithes and offerings back to